Well, she doles out some pretty good advice there in the end. Before we uh, get into uh, tonight's teaching, I just wanted to kind of just uh, talk with you about something. Um, if you got the email this week, you'll know that tonight is going to be kind of our last Renew Night for the summer, and uh, just want to tell you a little bit about what went into that decision, at least for me. Um, anytime we do something um, in ministry in the church, oftentimes one of the issues I'm always looking at is, is it sustainable? Can we do this over the long haul? I mean, once we started, I mean, can we keep it going? And so when we started talking about the Wednesday night um, renew, that was one of the issues that I kind of raised pretty quickly is, is this sustainable? Can we do this for the long haul? Can we do this, you know, every Wednesday night? And we talked about going through the summer and, you know, just again, the amount of time and energy um, that it takes uh, for, you know, Pastor Jason, for myself, for other staff to do what we do, to put together what needs to be put together to make it happen. And so, in the talking through the Wednesday night, one of the things that we kind of talked about was trying to find some times that would be consistent throughout that Wednesday night where there would be some built-in breaks for me, for Pastor Jason. And so what we decided was that we would, we would do, uh, on a monthly basis, we would do three nights, three week nights a month of teaching time, like what we've been doing. The fourth Wednesday of the month would always kind of be the, the life groups, um, which we, we, we tried, they just did not take off. So basically then what we did was we said, okay, well we'll just take that fourth night and we'll just do what we've been doing the other three nights. Um, and then we said, well then every fifth Wednesday of the month, if there was a fifth Wednesday that month, we would do evangelism outreach. Um, and that just has not ever really materialized um, for a number of reasons. Um, so basically what we kind of found ourselves back to was what I questioned and was concerned about from the get-go, the sustainability of this. Um, and it's just, uh, for me, it's just too much. Um, you all that are, that are coming know that this is, I put a lot into this. Um, this for me is, a, it's, a, it's the equivalent of a Sunday morning. Um, and that's okay. I, you know, um, that's, you know, I, Janie will tell you, you know, I'm, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. I'm either in 100% or I'm not in at all. Um, so, you know, there's always the talk of, well, you know, you could just scale everything back. Well, that just doesn't work in my world. Um, so I am kind of, you know, if I'm going to do this, we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to do it well. And, you know, and so that for me involves, you know, the videos. It involves the outline. It involves the PowerPoint. And it involves a lot of preparation to put messages like these um, together, uh, you know, I opted to kind of do uh, something that was completely different message-wise or theme-wise from what we were doing on Sunday mornings. Um, so th there just was a lot of things that went into it. You know, we get a lot of people up here that, you know, uh, volunteer worship times, you know, um, you know, tonight Deb and uh, Mike 
uh, were here tonight. Um, and so they'll often step into a Wednesday night, but they're also stepping into Sunday mornings. And so again, it, it, don't hear that as we're blaming them. But again, the issue becomes the sustainability of that. Can we continue to tax the same group of people on a Sunday morning for a Wednesday night, and can we do that over the long haul? And so we kind of uh, talked about it um, this Tuesday, and you know, we just kind of came to the conclusion that it's just, it just feels overwhelming. To me, it felt overwhelming to Pastor Jason, um, and so we just kind of made the decision that for me, I can run September to May, um, knowing that there is a time where, this, where it, it gives me some downtime, just some time to refocus. Uh, we just did a, our pastoral staff just did a planning retreat last week. We were, we were gone for three days and you know, just really kind of uh, spent some very, very in-depth time visioning and planning. And you know, it just everything always kind of comes back to that question, is it sustainable? And so we are kind of in the process right now of really kind of just regrouping and looking at next fall, what, what do we want to do? How do we make the Wednesday night effective and, and yet sustainable? And so uh, we're going to be going back and looking at that because really the things that we had kind of built in that we were hoping would kind of be natural breaks on the Wednesday night, they just have not materialized. And again, it's no, there, there's no fault, um, or you know, I, I can stand up here and give you a million reasons why it didn't work, and that's fine. I mean, that's all part of tweaking and learning and growing uh, in ministry. So we just wanted to let you know that tonight we're just gonna we're gonna end. Uh, it's end of May. Um, you know, a lot of churches do this, and again, that wasn't a part of my consideration. Um, but I, I, I can probably understand why churches do take a break over the summer is just because it, it seems more sustainable when there is kind of just somewhat of a natural break in there where you're giving your volunteers, you're giving your staff breathing room margin. Um, and so I just felt like it was uh, important uh, to step back and really kind of look at that piece. You know, most of you that are here tonight have been very, very faithful to the Wednesday nights. We appreciate that. We're going to come back in the fall, uh, start it up again. We're, um, I know we're looking at adding some more components um, to that. I'm very committed to continuing to do the Wednesday night teaching uh, here in the sanctuary um, doing worship here just like we are, but we really need to begin to look at some ways of really trying to, um, to reach out to more people in our congregation that you know, maybe aren't attending and trying to find out what kinds of programs, what kind of ministries would be attractive uh, to them. I know that this has been beneficial for a lot of you, the Wednesday night teaching. And, and again, we're gonna, I'm gonna very committed to continuing to do that. I hope you understand, um, you know, the comment was made, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, if things are really going gangbusters, you know, uh, next May we can just do it all summer. And I said, no, it, that, is, that is not the issue for me. The issue for me is I would feel the same way if this place was packed out tonight. It's not sustainable. I don't, it's not about the numbers for me. It's, is this sustainable for me? Is it sustainable for our staff? Is it sustainable for our volunteers? Those of you that were with us over at YFC, 
This is the same thing that we went through on the Saturday night service. We started that Saturday night service and committed to doing that every Saturday night. It was not sustainable. Um, we had volunteers were dropping because we were taxing the people that were carrying a lot of the load on Sunday morning, were having to come on sun Saturday night to do everything that we were doing, and it just got to the point where it's just no longer sustainable. And so uh, I don't want you to think, oh, because we had low attendance, that it does not factor in for me at all. It is, is it sustainable? Um, I love doing this, but I'll be honest with you, I'm exhausted. Um, it's, I, I love doing this, but I just don't, and I said to, to the staff, I just do not want this to get to where we have all crashed and burned, and then it just, it all falls apart. So I need, and I, and I think Pastor Jason needs, and, and I just, and I said to our staff, I said, here's the deal. Do not go and fill up your Wednesday night with something else, because I will be upset. Th this is a time for us to unplug and unwind and recharge and refocus. It is not to refill this with a bunch of other stuff and come here the first Wednesday of September tired and burned out and no, this, this needs to be margin. And I'm, not, I'm gonna probably even just start in September talking on the issue of margin. We just don't know how to do that in, in our in our culture, and so it's just important for us to take this break to again refocus, re-energize, <clears throat> renew. Uh, this is what Wednesday night is about. Um, so it's important for you. Um, I know Ann Swanson <clears throat> starting a Bible study Tuesday morning, 9:30 on the Book of Daniel using Beth Moore. Um, Beth Moore predominantly, you know, because they're denominations, she can't teach men. I don't understand that, but that's their uh, ball to carry, not mine. Um, but she does a Bible study in the book of Daniel, and it, it's just as applicable to men as it is to women. Uh, so if you are looking for something during the summer, there's an opportunity uh, to, to get involved. Ann and Tom are in <coughs> Phoenix during the um, winter months, so she loves to be able to come back in the summer and be able to do stuff like that. And so it would be an opportunity if you are looking for something that would be a, a change of pace. Uh, nine, thank you. 9.30 um, on Tuesday mornings. I think it's starting this next Tuesday, 9.30 here at the church. And I think she can take as many people that want to come for that. I know for those of you that work, that's not... Uh, an option, but for those of you that maybe have that time slot open, it's just something that you could, you know, if just use that in place of uh, the Wednesday night, um, and that may be something we can look at as we kind of move forward too, is maybe in the summer there would be people that would be willing to do <coughs> kind of Bible studies um, in the summer, but, you know, again, my concern is I don't want to do anything that would, would begin to compromise or take away what we're doing on Sunday mornings. We need to keep that really uh, where it's at. We need to continue to move that forward, uh, make that you know, better, more effective. We wanna be able to make that you know, everything it needs to be for the people that are coming. And so I just feel like our staff just needs 
this uh, next three months just to kind of uh, breathe and to refocus. I know for me, it's just that there's just a lot of things I know I need to give some attention to as, as a leader and just doing two full-blown messages um, a week on Wednesday and Sundays, it just really, it, it, that becomes my priority, my number one focus during the week. And, you know, it's just interesting, I hit the office Monday morning, and I mean, I start thinking and planning for Wednesday night. Tomorrow morning, I'll shift now to Sunday morning, thinking and planning and doing everything I need to do for Sunday morning, um, except I'm not preaching this Sunday morning, so I don't have to do that. But normally, that's kind of how my week goes. Um, and so, you know, it just doesn't allow a lot of time uh, for me to do the, the things that I need to do as the leader um, in, with the staff. And so I just feel like it um, helps me to be able to know I've got this block of time now to really get this uh, stuff done and to get the visioning um, and, and really kind of get that on board. So I hope you understand, um, and I know you probably got that in the email, but I wanted to explain a little bit of the reasoning um, behind why I felt it was important to do what we are doing uh, in terms of that. And like I said, we're very committed to starting back up the Wednesday after um, Labor Day, and uh, I know Janie's gonna be introducing a new concept on family ministry. Um, that she's going to kind of be doing uh, aside, but uh, again, we'll be back here uh, with worship uh, and with teaching time. So if you have any questions or comments, um, you can, um, you know, see me, uh, the good comments, um, bad comments, you can talk to Jason. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, I, honesty is not usually... Um, uh, my issue, uh, probably being too honest, uh, oftentimes gets me in trouble. Um, we've been looking at the uh, spiritual guidance that Paul has been giving us throughout the book of Philippians regarding how to really increase um, our happiness. Um, and again, happiness is a word in scripture that can be interpreted. It's the same Greek word for blessing, um, for uh, joy uh, for peace, and so we've been looking at what Paul has to say and how do we use that to increase the level of happiness, of blessedness, of joy, of peace in our relationships. And tonight we're gonna continue to look at how do we increase the level of our happiness in relationship by keeping our stress levels low. Recently I saw a headline that said that personal stress level worldwide is now at near record levels. Near record levels. The highest it's really been since about World War II. So I kind of read a little further into the article and found out that today suicide has now passed car crashes as the number one injury death in America. The number one injury death in America is now suicide, especially among our military men and women who are serving uh, or who have served in active combat and they're coming back from places like Afghanistan and Iraq and they're suffering um, from depression. Um, I was reading the other night um, just the internal struggles that some of these servicemen are coming back and uh, they're just talking about you know, the nightmares and the, you know, um, one guy was talking about not even being able to sleep in a room with 
anyone um, because uh, he will just suddenly wake up and not realize where he's at and, and fear, and so he just feels like he cannot be around anybody for fear of harming them. I mean, and there were just all of these men talking about their uh, experiences and in, in, in trying to acclimate back into um, our culture, I mean, a lot of you have seen what is happening with uh, our men and women in the VA, that they're not receiving the medical treatment um, that, they, that they need. And, and so there's just so much going on among our military men and women um, that oftentimes they feel the only alternative that they, they have to end the pain, to end the struggle, to end the uh, torture, the torment that they're feeling as a result of, of their service um, in, uh, in war, in combat, is, is suicide. And uh, so again, it is a huge, huge issue uh, that really is pushing uh, stress levels to all-time highs. So tonight, um, I, I also saw another statistic that said the top seven stresses in life are number one, your job, if you're working. Uh, your job creates or, or has the potential to create a lot of conflict. Number two is money. Number three, health. Uh, number four, relationships. We're, that's why we're talking about, again, the importance of the habits of happiness in relationships. Uh, number five is poor diet. Uh, next one is media overload, um, and the last one is just a lack of sleep. So tonight I want to look at um, the classic text, what I think uh, is just one of the classic texts in all of the Bible on how to keep from stressing out. And we've been in this series uh, looking at the book of Philippians, and so we're here tonight on chapter four. We're gonna look at and focus on verses six through 13. And again, this is the classic anti-stress management recipe. Now, the key uh, to this passage actually comes with a stress management guarantee. And again, this is not guaranteed by me, it's not guaranteed by a doctor, it is guaranteed by God. So you're gonna wanna pay attention, you're gonna wanna write this one down if you really truly wanna lower the stress in your life. Verse seven, we have this promise guarantee. It says, if you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Now, your translation may read something different. The Bible calls this the peace that passes understanding. How do you know when you have peace that passes understanding? I mean, if it passes understanding, it's beyond your ability to understand, isn't it? Yeah, so how do you know when you have that peace that passes understanding? Here it is. You're in a situation and you have no logical reason to be at peace, but you are. That's the peace that passes understanding. I'm in a situation, I'm in a circumstance, I'm in over my head, I should be spinning, I should be overwhelmed, I should be climbing the walls, but I'm not. I'm at peace. I don't understand it, it doesn't make sense, it defies logic, but I am. That is that peace that passes understanding. 
God says, I guarantee this to you. If you do these things, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your hearts at rest. Man, that is the classic anti-stress management recipe. To have your thoughts or the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, one translation puts that. To have your thoughts quiet, your heart at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. God promises a more peaceful, less stressed mind. Anybody interested in that? There are over 7,000 promises in the Bible, but do you realize with every promise there's a premise or a condition? God says, if you do this, then I'll do that. There's a condition. So I want you to uh, look on your outline there, and you've got this verse there. What is the premise for this promise? It's those first few words. If you do these things. If you do these things, it's going to keep you from stressing out. If you do these things, you will experience God's peace. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet. Keep your hearts at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. If you do these things, what things? That's what we're gonna talk about tonight. There are specifically five things. God says, if you'll do these things, I will give you peace. First of all, he says, I don't want you to worry about anything. Refuse to worry about anything. Then he says, I want you to pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Thank God in all things. I want you to keep your mind on good things, and I want you to be content in all things. So we're gonna look at all five of those in a little bit of detail. First, if you wanna keep from stressing out, refuse to worry about anything. Refuse to worry about anything. Why? Because the number one source of stress in your life is not work, it is worry. Okay, you may be overworked, but it's more likely you are over-worried. Work doesn't keep you up at night, worry does. Most of you are more over-worried than you are overworked. God is very, very clear in the Bible what he thinks about worry, and that's the first verse there in verse six. First part of Philippians 4, 6 says, never worry about anything. Now, is there any wriggle room in that verse? No. Is there any exception? Is there any exemption? Does Paul carve out any reason to say it's okay to worry about this situation or this circumstance? No. He says never, which is an absolute, worry about 
anything which is an absolute. That's about as big a blanket statement as you can make. He says, in no circumstances, but what about, no. Never worry about anything. Well, what about, no. Never worry about anything. Jesus thought worry was such an important topic that he spent a major section of his most famous sermon, that Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew, talking about worry. In that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives you four reasons why you should never worry about anything. We've talked about this before on Sunday mornings. First, Jesus says about worry is it's unreasonable. Worry is illogical. It doesn't make sense. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says this. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not, and this is again just a rhetorical question, is not life more important than food? Is not the body more important than clothes? He's saying this, is, this isn't logical. You've got your priorities out of order here. He says it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. Worry is unreasonable. Why is it unreasonable? Couple of reasons. First, because worry exaggerates the problem. It never makes a problem smaller. Worry always makes a problem bigger. Have you ever noticed if somebody says something bad about you, the more you think about it, the more exaggerated what they said becomes? You ever notice that, how you kind of are playing that over in your mind and you kind of start adding in more details uh, just to make it, you know, a little juicier? I mean, I mean we, we just begin to kind of exaggerate and make things bigger. Or you got a problem and you start worrying about it. The more you worry about it, does the problem shrink? No, it grows. It always gets bigger. Worry exaggerates. It's irrational. It's unreasonable. It makes it bigger. It grows the problem out of proportion. Not only does worry exaggerate the problem, worry doesn't work. It never has worked. It's worthless. It's useless. It's stewing without doing. It doesn't make any difference in your life. To worry about something you can't change is useless. To worry about something you can change is foolish. Just go change it. In either case, worry is not the answer. Second, Jesus says, not only is it unreasonable, it's unnatural. It goes against the grain of nature. Why? Because in the entire universe, do you realize the only part of God's creation that worries are human beings? Birds don't worry. Cows don't worry. Dogs don't worry. Cats don't worry. Cats create worries, but they don't worry. Worry is unnatural. What do I mean by that? You were not born with it. You were not born. You didn't come out of your mother's womb a worrier. There are no born worriers. You might think you are, but you're not. 
You're not a born worrier. You learned it. Worry is something you learned to do. The good news is, if it can be learned, it can be unlearned. It can be reversed. You learned it, and maybe you're really, really good at it because you've been practicing it for so many years. Some of you are maybe pros at worrying. Maybe you are, are so good at it that you, you know, maybe want to get a PhD in worrying, or you're kind of one of those people that wished worry was a sport because you would get a gold medal at the Olympics. But it's learned. Worry is not natural. No baby is born worrying. They have learned it and they have picked it up from somebody else. Jesus in Matthew 6, 26 says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Again, it's a rhetorical question. Of course you are. If anybody's on God's welfare program, it's birds. They do nothing, expect everything. They don't do anything except birdie things. Tweet, make nests, you know, mess up our windshields. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. I mean, take that as an example. He says, they don't sow, they don't reap, but he says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Now notice Jesus says, your heavenly Father. Not their heavenly Father, your heavenly Father. He's not talking about the birds' heavenly Father there. He's saying, your daddy, your heavenly Father. If God's your heavenly father and you're his child, children get special privileges, don't they? And children of royalty are treated royally, are they not? So Jesus would say, what are you worrying about? The birds don't worry and God's not their father. God's their creator, but not their father. If God's your father and you're his child, Jesus says, you've got nothing to worry about. Look at the birds. Verse 28 through 29, Jesus says, why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry about theirs. Yet King Solomon in all of his royal regal glory was never clothed as beautifully as they are. He's saying in all of God's creation in the entire universe, of everything that God created, only human beings worry. Animals don't worry, plants don't worry. We are the only thing God made that worries, that doesn't trust him. So again, worry is unnatural. God says you're valuable to him. And he takes care of them. By the way, since worry is unnatural, do you know it's also unhealthy? Your body was not designed to handle worry. When people say, I'm worried sick, they're telling you the truth. Doctors say a lot of people could leave the hospital today if they knew how to get rid of guilt, resentment, and worry, because that's what puts most people in. What I'm saying is it's not so much what you eat, it's what eats you. It's what eats you that makes you sick. It's, again, the worry, the tension, the stress in your life. It's not just unnatural. It is unhealthy. 
It causes all kinds of problems. The Bible says this in Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart weighs down a man. The word worry actually comes from an old English word, which means to strangle or to choke. Did you realize that? When we talk about worry, we're using an old English word there that means to strangle or to choke. That's what worry does. It strangles and it chokes. Every time you worry, you're strangling, you are choking the life out of your life. An anxious heart weighs down a man. Look at the opposite. Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. Anxious heart weighs a man down. A heart at peace gives life to the body. You wanna be healthier, you need to stop worrying Never worry about anything. Why? It's unreasonable. It's unnatural. Third thing Jesus says, it's unhelpful. It doesn't do anything. Worry cannot make you one inch taller. It can't make you one inch shorter. It can't take 10 inches off your waist. If it could, it would have. Worry cannot lengthen your life, but it can shorten it. You know that worry cannot change the past. Worry cannot control the future. It just messes up today. That's all it does. Doesn't change the past, doesn't control the future. It just messes up your day. It's kind of like sitting in a rocking chair. You spend a lot of energy, but you're not going anywhere or making any progress. So Jesus says, it's unnatural, it's unhealthy, it's useless. The only thing that worry changes is you. It makes you miserable. It's never solved a problem. It's unhelpful, that's why Jesus asked the proverbial question in Matthew 6, 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, but you can take some hours off your life by worrying. That's why it's unhelpful. The fourth reason why the Bible says never to worry about anything, it's unnecessary. God says, what in the world are you worried about? Don't you believe I know what your needs are? Don't you believe I'm committed to taking care of you? Don't you believe that I'm your heavenly father, that you're my child? I made you, I created you, I saved you, I love you, I put my spirit in you. Don't you think I'm gonna take care of your needs? It's unhelpful, it's unnecessary, there's no need to worry. Jesus says this in Matthew 6.30. He said, if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. Again, think of all the beautiful flowers that are out right now, that are blooming. If God takes care of them, if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today, gone tomorrow, won't he most surely care for you, O oh, you of little faith. We've been in this series, The Habits of Happiness, for several weeks. We've been going through the book of Philippians. We've been looking at different habits that we need to incorporate if we want to have a blessed relationships, be at peace with one another. And again, you're as happy, and we've said this throughout the series, you are as happy as you choose to be. If you are unhappy, if you are miserable, it is because you are choosing to be that way. You're choosing to be unhappy. Don't blame your husband, don't blame your wife, don't blame your boss, don't blame your children. It is a choice, and you have made the choice to worry. Worry is a choice. It's learned, it can be unlearned. So the first step in stress management is what Paul says, refuse to worry about 
anything. Again, Jesus says it's unhelpful, unreasonable, unnatural, and unnecessary. The Bible says this in 1 Peter uh, 5, 7, says, unload all your worries on God since he is looking after you. I love that word unload because it literally means in the Greek to just drop it. You ever, you ever been carrying something so heavy and you finally get it to where it needs to go and you just drop it? I mean, there's no setting it down. You just let it go and it just drops. That's what he's talking about there. You know, cast your cares upon the Lord. I think one of your translations may say, for he cares for you. Just drop it. Let it go. Let it just drop where it's at. So God says, all those things you've been stressing out about this morning, all those things you're anxious about, that you're worried about, that you're fearful about, that you're uptight about, let it go. Never worry about anything because it's not going to do any good. So what do you do anyway? You do the next step. That's the second part of the verse. First part of verse six says never worry about anything. Second part is talk to God about everything. Again, that's pretty complete. Talk to God about everything everything. Don't panic, pray, don't worry, worship. Stop talking to yourself about all of the stuff that's stressing you out and just start talking to God about that stuff. Philippians 4, 6, again, Paul says, never worry about anything. Instead, I love this. This is where the Bible is so practical. It doesn't say stop it and then doesn't give you any alternative. It says don't do this, instead, do this. So I love it because it gives you uh, what you need to stop doing in addition to what you need to start doing. He said instead in every situation. Again, that's pretty complete. Not just the big ones, not just the ones you can't figure out on your own. Every situation, let God know what you need in your prayers and in your request. See, if some of you prayed as much as you worry, you'd have a whole lot less to worry about. And by the way, God has promised to care for you. And here's the thing, if it's not worth worrying about, or if it's not worth praying about, it's not worth worrying about. He says, talk to God about everything. And in part of that conversation, let God know what you need. When I was a kid, anytime I had a need in my life, I would go talk to my dad. I'd say, Dad, I need this. And sometimes, you know, some of those things I needed would be expensive. And I'd say, Dad, I need tennis shoes. I'm going out for basketball. I need good tennis shoes. They're expensive. And I can distinctly remember that not once as a kid when I said, Dad, I need this, never once did I ever worry about where my father was going to get the money. Never once because that wasn't my job. My job was to ask. His job was to figure out how to pay for it. It's not your job to figure out how God's gonna do it. It's your job to ask. Ask your heavenly Father. Tell him what you need. Make your request known. See, when you worry instead of asking, you're acting like an atheist. Worry is practical atheism. That's what it is. It's acting like I don't have a heavenly father. It's acting like, oh, I do have a heavenly father, but he's oblivious to what's going on in my life. Oh, I have a heavenly father, but he doesn't care about me. 
I mean, that, that's, just, that, that's just nonsense. I mean, why are you even a Christian if that's your concept of God? How is that even appealing to other people that you may share your faith with? Yeah, I know God, but he doesn't care about me. I, 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 I have a heavenly father, but he just doesn't know anything about what's going on in my life. Do you want to pray to receive him? No? Oh, gee, I wonder why. It's acting like God can't be trusted. That's just one of the things. I, you know, I'll be really honest with you. We've been in this church for 10 years, and you know what? I have never, ever, ever once worried about money in this church. Never. There are times we even forgot to take up offerings in the very beginning, and people would panic. I'm like, I'm not panicked about that at all. If, this, if we're doing what God wants us to do, if we're doing what God's called us to do, he'll provide the means. I have never, ever, ever worried or wondered about where is the money gonna come to pay for this. If this is what God's calling us to do, it'll come, it always has, it always will. I'll never, ever worry about money in this church because I know God cares for us I know God is for us. I know that God has called us to do something great in this community, and he is going to provide the means for us to do that. I don't ever, ever worry about that. If staff comes and says, I need to get this, get it. Uh, I, you know, we need this for worship, get it. I need this for youth ministry, get it. Uh, I mean, we're not, we're not, you know, um, like um, reckless in any way with that. But if we feel like God's calling us to do something, we do not sit around and stew about the money. Just get it. And we trust that God will meet the needs. And he always has. I, I, Marilyn's an elder. Any other elders stands a trustee? We never ever, we, uh, Fred is an elder, we never ever ever, to my knowledge, have we ever had long conversations about money uh, and in terms of being worried about money. Is, is that true? Yeah, I mean we talk about budgets, we make budgets, I mean, you know, we kinda go through all this stuff, but, but there, I, to my knowledge, there's never ever been a time where we have ever sat around worried or stressed out because of money. And again, th this, is, this is walking this out uh, in very, very practical ways. Here's what the Bible says, James 4, 2, you have, be, you have not because you do not ask. That's the problem. You have not because you ask not. So here's the second key to stress management. Worry less, ask more. How's that? That's pretty simple. Instead of worrying, pray. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. You say, I don't want to bother God with this little thing. There's nothing tiny to God. There's nothing insignificant to God. Every problem in your life is tiny to God. There's no big problems in your life. There's no little problems in your life because all the problems in your life, big, little, or otherwise, are tiny to God. He can handle it. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 8.32. If you do not know this verse, you need to underline this verse. You need to memorize this verse. Since God did not spare even his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all. He died on the cross for us. Paul says this, won't he who gives us Christ 
also give us everything else we need. How do you argue with that? If he's given you his son, which is the greatest thing that God has ever given mankind, why would he not give you the lesser things? If he's given you the greatest, why would he withhold anything else? It's just, it's logical. Think about this. Here's what Paul's saying. Your biggest problem is getting into heaven. Do you realize that was your biggest problem? That was your biggest concern, was getting into heaven, getting your sins forgiven. I stopped batting a 1,000 about breath number three. I don't know about you. So God came up with a plan. He sends his son to earth in human form. He says, I'll live a perfect life. I'll die a perfect death so you can get into heaven. It's called grace. I don't work it, I don't earn it, I don't deserve it, I don't buy it, it's just grace. If God is committed and concerned enough to take care of your biggest problems, wouldn't he be just as committed to taking care of the lesser things? Absolutely. If God did not spare his own son but gave him for us, would he not give us everything else we need? If God solved your biggest problem, everything else is small by comparison. If God loved you enough to die for your sins, don't you think he loves you enough to help you with your finances? Don't you think he loves you enough to help you with your health? Don't you think he loves you enough to help you with your relationships, with career decisions? Yeah, there's no area of your life, folks, You cannot name one area of your life that God is not interested in, that God doesn't have a plan for. The Bible says he has the very hairs on every head in this room numbered. He knows exactly how many hairs are on every head in this room. For some of us, that's not too hard. But God knows every hair, even the ones you left in the sink this morning, I don't know how many hairs are on my head. I don't really care, but God does. He cares, he knows. See, I'm thinking if he cares and knows about the insignificant, inconsequential, insignificant things, man, he cares and he knows about the big stuff as well. So one of the dumbest things you can say is, God, I'll handle this. I'll I'll take care of this, God. Really? when he's offered to take care of every area of your life, really? God, I'll handle this. You wanna lower the stress in your life? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Here's the third thing you need to do. Thank God in all things. Doesn't say for all things, because there's things maybe you shouldn't be thankful for. There's pain in the world, there's evil in the world. You know, somebody gets cancer, you don't have to thank God for cancer, I can thank God for healing. Somebody dies, you don't have to thank God for their death, you can thank God that he's with them in their death, especially if they're saved. You know, Roger uh, died here a couple of weeks ago, we're not thankful for that, but we're thankful that God was with him, we're thankful that the moment he took his last breath, he took his first breath in heaven, he was in God's presence, we can be thankful for that. 
But he says, in all things give thanks, which means even in the bad times, I can find something good. Now, here's a third part of that verse. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, worry about nothing, pray about everything. He said, when you ask God for what you need, also thank him for all he's done. Always ask with a thankful heart. Always ask with a thankful heart. I'm not going to belabor this point. We've already talked about this in the series. Again, that connection between gratitude and happiness. You cannot be happy and ungrateful at the same time. Try that sometime. Try to be unhappy and grateful. It just doesn't work. They don't go together. One cancels the other out. Happy people are grateful people. Unhappy people are ungrateful people. Study after study after study has shown that the, uh, the healthiest emotion known to human beings is the attitude of gratitude, being thankful. The more you build gratitude in your life, the happier and the healthier you are going to be. In fact, studies have shown having an attitude of gratitude actually raises your immunities. You can fight off sickness. You can fight off disease just by being thankful. Being ungrateful, being resentful, being filled with bitterness, being angry actually lowers your immunities to other things in life. We know that gratitude is one of the greatest antidotes to depression because it gets my eyes off of myself and on to other people. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If you're here tonight and you are depressed, get out and do something meaningful for someone else. Stop having your pity party and get out there and try to be a blessing in somebody else's life. You will bless the person that you're helping, but you will be the, great, you will be the one with the greater blessing you will walk away on a high after having done something to help other people. It's a stress reliever. It gets the focus off of you. Ungrateful people are unhappy people. It says when you ask God, you don't just ask, but you also thank him. So again, always ask with a thankful heart. Oftentimes, what I try to do in, in prayer is I'll make my requests known to God, and then oftentimes, I will just thank God for having heard that prayer. Do you realize Jesus did that one time? He, he prayed a prayer, and he, and, and he actually said, I thank you, God, that you heard my prayer. So I thought, man, that's kind of interesting. So I started thanking God, thank you that you heard that prayer prayer. Thank you, God, that you are working that answer out in my life. And so again, it, it just takes that request and it begins to turn it into a more thankful uh, um, attitude um, toward God. I think that's what Paul's getting at. I can always find something to be grateful for. I mean, I, could, I can ask you tonight, just to, on the column of your outline tonight, write down some things you're grateful for. I don't care what kind of a day you've had. Now, some of you have had a bad day, a stressful day, a busy day. Even in the midst of that, you could take five minutes, and I know every one of you in this room could come up with at least five things you're grateful for. So we always have something that we're grateful for in our lives. Wow, okay. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus for you. 
I often get this question all the time. What is God's will for my life? It's really simple. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Before God shows you step two, folks, you need to take step one. And that's step one. In everything, give thanks. If you don't get that figured out, there is no other step. There is no step two. There is no going on to the next thing. That is the first thing. It is the main thing. And if you don't get that, you're not going to get anything else about God's will for your life. So Paul says, it is in everything, give thanks. God does have a will and a plan for your life, your marriage, your career, your education, everything else. And God says, before we get to those areas, let's work on the general. The first thing I need you to learn to do is to be grateful in every situation. That is my will for your life. Fourth step we find is uh, think about good things. Think about good things. Again, this is extremely important because the stress and the war with stress in your life, that war, that battle is going on between your ears. The stress, folks, is not outside the walls. It's inside your head. It is between your ears. The battle is in your brain. It is in your thought life. It is in your mind. Joyce Myers calls it the battlefield of the mind. Your war with stress is won or lost in your mind. What you fill your head with will determine the level of stress in your life. If you want peace of mind, you're going to have to start controlling what you allow in it. Most people, their mind is like a freeway. Anything can drive through it. They fill their minds with poison, with garbage, uh, just all kinds of things. Your mind's like a computer. You know that G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you put in your mind is going to come out in your life. You know, people listen to gossip they shouldn't listen to. They watch things on television you should not be watching. We'll listen to music we ought not be listening to. They worry about water pollution. People worry about food pollution. They worry about air pollution. But people don't worry about mind pollution. And yet that is the most serious pollution you have to deal with. Here's what the Bible says, Philippians 4.8. Fill your mind with those things that are true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and beautiful and respected if anything is excellent, if anything is worthy of honor, think or dwell, the Bible says, one translation, dwell on those things. The Bible gives you a litmus test right there of eight things to determine whether we should allow something in our mind or not. If you want to lower the stress, you've got to change what you think about. You've got to control what you allow in your mind. The eight tests are before I listen or watch or talk or say or hear. You should say, is it true? Is it good? Does it build up? Does it encourage? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it beautiful? Is it respected? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of honor? Proverbs 4.9 said, fools make fun of sin. 
When you think about these things, good, true, right, pure, beautiful, respected, excellent, worthy, you know what that is? That's a picture of God. And that's what your mind should be dwelling on. Here's what Isaiah 26, three says, you Lord will keep in perfect peace. How many of you would like to live in perfect peace? He says, the Lord will keep you in perfect peace. That's his part. What is your part? Remember, it's a promise. Every promise has a premise, a condition. Every promise has your part, God's part. He will keep you in perfect peace. That's God's part. All who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on him. Number five, last one. Be content with anything. Bible tells us to be content with anything. Let me explain contentment because a lot of people misunderstand the meaning of contentment. I talked about, um, talked about coveting and greed a couple Sundays ago and got a lot of questions on that. People feeling that there were certain things that they were wanting or contending for in life and felt like that was being covetedness and, and greedy and uh, it, it's not. Some people think being, you know, contentment is having no ambition. Not at all. I mean, Paul was the most ambitious man who ever lived, and he single-handedly takes the good news, the gospel, all over the Roman Empire. He's one of the most ambitious people um, ever, and he says, I've learned to be content. It has nothing to do with ambition. That's not contentment. Contentment is not laziness. Contentment is not apathy. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not fatalism. What will be, will be. Que sera, sera. Someone can write a song about that someday. Here's what contentment is. It's enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen in order for me to be happy. That is contentment. It's enjoying what I have, taking pleasure in what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen for something else to drop into my lap in order for me to be happy. It's enjoying what I've got right now. It doesn't mean I don't wanna make progress. It doesn't mean I don't have goals. You can have goals, you can have dreams, you can have ambitions. Contentment is the opposite of coveting. Coveting is when and then thinking. When this happens, then I'll be happy. That's covetedness, that's not contentment. When that happens, I'll be happy. Contentment is actually independence from circumstances. It means my joy is not connected to what's happening in my life right now. My joy, my happiness is not based on my happenings, it's not based on my circumstances. It means I've learned to enjoy, to be content with what I have right now. I'm not waiting for something or someone else to make me happy. Here's what Paul says in verse 11 and 12, and we'll kind of close with this. I've learned to be content. You need to circle that word, learn, because contentment is a learned thing. You've got to learn contentment. Just like if you've learned to worry, okay, you got, you, you got to learn to be content. Okay, contentment is not natural. None of us are content by nature. You have to learn it. 
I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I know how to live on almost nothing, or I know how to live with everything. In the original Greek here, Paul says, I know how to live in poverty, I know how to live in luxury. I know them both, I can be happy in either, in poverty and luxury, with nothing or with everything. Because on says, I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, or whether I have more than I need or don't have enough. Let me just quickly give you, just so you can finish out your outline, you type A's, you know who you are. Three things that you need to do to learn contentment is stop comparing. That's so important because the source of all discontent is comparison. I remember many years ago when I was a little boy, I got up one Christmas morning, my parents had given me the gift of a lifetime, a stingray bicycle, butterfly handlebars, a banana seat. I thought it was so cool, I thought I was so cool, until I saw my neighbor friend got a better one, and my happiness went out the door. So again, stop comparing. Second thing, stop thinking that having more is better. The three myths were taught by advertising in society. Having more will make me happy. Having more will make me more important. Having more will make me more secure. None of those myths are true. That's why they're myths. They're all lies. Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, it is better to only have a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. Third thing is learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to admire without having to acquire. In other words, we need to learn that we don't have to own it in order to enjoy it. That's part of contentment. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Then I'm just gonna close uh, with the passage of verse 13. It's one of the most famous verses uh, in the Bible. I have the strength to face anything and everything by the power that Christ gives me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you realize you can do all five of these things we've talked tonight about? Not by your strength, not by your power, not by your might, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord. Christ Jesus can give you the strength the endurance, the power, the determination to do all of these things in your life. And I'll tell you what, you get these things working in your life, it will have a radical impact on your relationships. So I'm just gonna leave you with that. Um, tonight, uh, Job 22:21 says this, obey God and be at peace with him, this is the way to happiness. Obey God and be at peace with him. That's the way to happiness, that's the gateway to happiness, it's the gateway to peace, joy. Um, so let's just pray. Father, we just again thank you for tonight, Lord. Pray again, Father, that you would just help us, Lord. Every one of us in this room, God, no matter where we're at tonight, no matter how well or how bad we're kind of doing each one of these areas tonight, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that through you, the strength, the power that you provide for your Holy Spirit, God, we can do all of this through Christ who strengthens us. So Lord, I pray in every one of these five areas that we've talked tonight about as we address the stress and worry 
in our lives, God, that you would give us the strength, the power, the determination, the wisdom, the courage, God, to be able to excel in all of this. God, that we would refuse to worry about anything, pray about everything. God, that we would make our request known to you, that we would do that with a grateful, with a thankful heart. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that wherever we're at tonight, God, whatever that need may be in any one of these areas, God, would you just come and strengthen us, empower us, God, to walk it out, to honor you, to obey you so we can be at peace with you because your word says this is the pathway, the gateway to happiness, to blessedness, to peace, and to joy. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have made this available to every one of us. And Father, again, we just thank you for the example that you have given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would imitate him. And the Father, in imitating him, God, we would bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good night, thanks for being here, and we'll see you back here Wednesday night in the fall. Take me up to your resurrection place, my beloved.